Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Good morning. We okay? All right, we'll grab a Bible. We're going to do what we do. We're going to go to the Word of God. We're going to let the Lord teach us. We're going to go to Mark chapter 9. And if you don't know our rhythm here, maybe you're new. But if you've heard this a hundred times, it's worth repeating. Every week we're in a reading plan. It's a chapter a day. And we want to invite anyone and everyone into that. And this week was chapters 8 through 12 of the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark 9. We're going to start in verse 2. And we're going to go all the way through two stories. The transfiguration. Jesus is going to show us who he really is. And then he's going to lead his disciples from a very different meeting and encounter to the bottom of the same mountain that the transfiguration happens to a different thing. That's kind of where we're headed. Um, Have you ever had a moment happen, though, where you read a Bible verse and it bothers you all week? That was my week. And so last week, uh, Jeremiah, Big Red, got up here and he preached. Uh, And he read a verse towards the beginning of what he was preaching and it has stuck with me. And I prayed about it, and I was like, Lord, I just like was fighting and arguing with God, and I studied it. And it's in 1 Thessalonians. You don't have to go there. You can just be in Mark 9. Uh, but it has four things in it that I want to invite us into, and that I'm hungry for for cobblestone. And I would dare to say that God wants to do here today. So in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, it, it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. The Apostle Paul is talking to the Thessalonians and he goes, I know God chose you, has you, and saved you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And all of that, I want all of it. Like, I, I was like, Lord, I, I want to see not just the word. And here's the thing. I want the word of God to dwell richly here. This is why we read this every week and I yell at you, don't tie your life to a man or a woman or a person or even an apostle. Tie your life to the word of God. Tie it to that. Be in it every day. Sit with your Savior and know him. And then have godly leaders like Jeremiah talked about last week. And you'll, they'll prove to you among who they are. But on top of that, I was like, Lord, I have heard so many words my whole life. Anybody else? You've been in church, you popped out on a pew, down it into a baptismal, and you've been hearing good sermons since you were born, right? So lots of words. But what's lacking sometimes is power, the Holy Spirit, full conviction. And I want to pray into those things as a body. And I really was like, Lord, all right, Lord, this verse has irked me all week. What do you want me to do with it? He's like, why don't you have the people pray for it? I was like, great, that's a good, you're good. Um, so what we're going to do, we're actually, I'm going to break you into groups. We're just going to pray. Not in a, like, we're just going to have a prayer meeting. Just a little time out from teaching meeting to a prayer meeting, all right? So if you're in this section, and what I mean is there's this aisle. If you're over here, I want you to pray. I want you to ask God that the word of God would dwell richly here. And however else the Lord leads you to pray, you pray that, all right? I want this section, you're my power section, All right? You have to do this pose while you pray, though, okay? You're my power team. I want you to pray that you're... Anybody know what the power team is? Like old school, big, beefy men would break ice blocks and talk about Jesus. Doesn't that just sound like Jesus? Anyway, you're going to ask God for his power to be poured out in this church, all right? So however else the Lord leads you in that prayer, power, all right? You all, Holy Spirit, 
Just ask for the Holy Spirit to come, for him to fill us, for him to do whatever he wants to do. And if you're praying, whatever. And then you all, full conviction, all right? Just the conviction of God would fall on this house, all right? That's what we're going to do. I'm going to open in prayer, and then I'm going to say, church, pray. So you all, word of God, all right? I don't know why I did that in the Pentecostal voice, but I did. The word of God. You're asking for the power of God. I should stop talking. Um, you're asking for the Holy Spirit, and you're asking for full conviction. Everybody know what they're doing? And if you're like, man, I don't even know how to pray that. Well, if, even if it's a baseline, like, Lord, just would you have your power be present here? That's good. And then maybe that leads to you to pray for something else that comes to mind. Do that, all right? So I'll pray, and then I'll say, church, pray, and we're just going to have a little prayer meeting. We're going to pray over these things. God, thank you for your word. And that's where my boldness, like if it's in your word, I can ask for it. So I ask for the word of God, the power of God, the spirit of God, and the conviction of God. And we join this prayer, we pray this prayer. Not me, not one person, we as a body ask for these things in greater measure. And so church, would you just start praying those things? If you pray out loud, great. If you don't, I don't care. Just start asking God for your thing. So we, we ask for your word to dwell here richly. I pray that what, would, what the Psalms say is that your voice breaks the cedars. That your word would go out in such power that it would break strongholds. That it would shake us, mold us, and we would listen to it and do it, not just hear it. I pray for the power of God to be present amongst the people. That it would, we would feel it. There is a power in the name of Jesus. And I pray anything other than Jesus' name would be, you would be exalted here today. I pray for the Holy Spirit to come, to fill the people of God in this room, that we would be a people sensitive to your spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity. We want you here, Holy Spirit. And I pray for full conviction, God. I pray for conviction like Jim Elliott, who would go into the jungles to be murdered and his wife would go back to the same people. We would go in the name of Jesus with full conviction that our God is good, that he's worthy of all things. And so I ask for all these things, that even right now in this room, I'm hungry for these things, God. And maybe it's my, my past, Lord. You know my heart, but like I've heard so many words. I'm, I'm kind of tired of words. I'm not tired of your words. I'm tired of men's words. Bring your words to bear in this room. Bring your power, your kingdom, and all that you want here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Thanks for joining my prayer meeting. I want those things, yeah? I want those things. And so if you would join me praying for those things, uh, I believe we're going to see them. I think I am seeing them. I am seeing the power of God. I am seeing the Holy Spirit. I am seeing conviction being formed. And really, we want to walk in all of that stuff. (laughs) If you have a Bible, Mark 9, verse 2, all right? We're going to go right into what we were were talking about last week. It kind of butts up to that. But up to this point, 
the disciples, it's been pretty fun following Jesus. Up to this point, it's been wine at the wedding. It's been like healing people that are sick. It's been, hey, come follow me, and it's new and it's exciting. But from nine on, it's really focused towards one thing, Jerusalem and the cross. So from this point on, it gets a little real. It gets a little like things are going to start hitting the fan. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus is very intentional about his leadership. So when Jesus calls you and he says, let's go here, he's not, it's not like he's questioning. He's, not, he's like, I don't know if it's going to work out. He knows. And he's going to lead three of his disciples up a mountain and then down a mountain. And the two things he leads them to, one at the top and one at the bottom, are very different. Very, very different. And so in verse 2 of chapter 9, it says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. I'm going to stop a lot. Why did he only take three of them? That's not fair. What about the 12? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but not everybody follows Jesus the same way, and he uses people differently. But I'm convinced that everybody in here, if you will listen to God, and he might say to you, hey, come up to this mountain with me. The problem is if Jesus himself showed up in this room and was like, well, you, you, and you, we're going up this mountain, some of us might be like, I'm kind of tired. I don't know if I want to go up that mountain. We might actually say that. So we say with our mouths, I want to follow you. I want to be close to you. I will do anything you ask of me. And then he does, and we're like, that sounds hard. Walking up a mountain? Do I have to? But Jesus is a good leader, and no matter where he leads us, he's going to lead them up the mountain, and he's also going to lead them down the mountain. And I'm just going to challenge you today, if Jesus led you up a mountain, would you go? If Jesus led you into a valley, would you go? If Jesus led you into the dark, would you go? If Jesus was like, we're going, fill in the blank. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. I love this story because up to this point, I have to believe the disciples are walking with Jesus. They're like, he's like a guy like us. Because Jesus, up to this point, he's eating, he's using the bathroom, he's making, you know, having wine at wedding parties. Like, he feels pretty normal. Then all of a sudden, we got glowy face Jesus. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, in an encounter that I believe was planned, God's like, Peter, James, and John, you're going up the mountain with my boy Jesus, and I'm going to show you who he is, who he really is. Like, the reality of Jesus showing up in this moment is like, I want to see that. I want to see who Jesus really is. And if you break down the word transfigured, it literally just means he was elevated. So Jesus was fully man, but Jesus is fully God. And so in a moment, he pulls the veil back and Peter loses his mind. Can you imagine being there? I mean, you have Moses and Elijah and Jesus in a cloud, Shekinah cloud, glory cloud. I don't know. And literally Peter's like, should I make a tent? Yeah, Peter, that's what you should do. You should build some tents. 
for Moses and Elijah who have been dead a really long time. That's going to work out for you well, bud. Have fun. Really, he lo- if you've ever said something stupid like in a church service, just look at Peter, all right? Peter wants to build a tent for Moses and Elijah, but what's profound if you study it, Moses is the bringer of the law and Elijah is the greatest prophet. So Jesus has a meeting as he's headed to Jerusalem and the cross with the man that brought the law, who he's the fulfillment of, and the greatest prophet on earth, who Jesus is the head over. And he has a meeting, and then this cloud comes, and it's God himself's presence. And he says, this is my son. I, I love this guy. That's what the God the Father says. And they hear it. And then he says, listen to him. Now, we don't think deeply enough about Scripture sometimes, but if God says, listen to him, you know what you cannot do? You know what you can do? Not listen to him. You can know, I know Jesus said this. I know who Jesus is. I know he told me to go. I know he told me to pray without ceasing. I know, I know, I know, but you cannot listen. But listen to him. Follow him. And I think that's profound because he's about to lead them from Shekinah glory cloud, glory face Jesus, to a very different encounter at the bottom of the hill. And they need to know who Jesus really is. And and part of the reason I wanted to preach this is I think some of us have a very wrong, very unbiblical, and very unnatural reality view of Jesus. And so what we did is we, we like the idea of Jesus saving us, we, like, we know Jesus is a little bit more moral than us, but do you know glowy face, your kind of glory, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, Jesus? Luke tells us that his face shone like the sun. And so some of us, we've ordered, we've made Jesus very ordinary. I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, expectations with God, you can't hit a ceiling with. So I'll, I'll do it this way. If, if I look at you, any of you, and I go, I just don't expect much from you. I look at Jeremiah and I go, I just don't expect you to be a good husband. Does that hurt a little bit? Right? And so some of us, the way that we live, the way that we follow Jesus is less us saying to him, I just don't expect anything from you. I don't expect a lot from you. I expect you to just be the little bit better version of humanity that I'm not, just enough to get me into heaven. But Jesus goes, let me pull the veil back and show you who I really am. That if you were to see him now, his face shines like the sun. And I don't think there'll be a moment, if if you make Jesus small and a little bit better than us, your faith will be small. If you make Jesus a, a little bit better than humanity, but just like me, I just like a little bit more improved version of Andrew, he's not what this is. This Jesus is worth following to the ends of the earth. This Jesus, if he tells me to go down a mountain and confront a demon-possessed boy, I'll follow that Jesus. But if the Jesus of normal cultural Christianity says, hey, why don't you give your money and be generous? I'll be like, ah, it's a good suggestion. I don't really want to. I just want to go to heaven. But glowy face Jesus, the king of heaven and earth, the one who the father in heaven says, this is the one I'm pleased in. Listen to him. That Jesus and I brought him up already in prayer, but Jim Elliott, you know who Jim Elliott is? He's been on my mind all morning. Jim Elliott goes into the Amazon jungle and is murdered by a tribe telling them about Jesus. Do you know that his wife, many years later, you know where she went? The exact same place. 
And now they know Jesus. You know what makes men and women do that? This Jesus. Not the limp-wristed, non-authority, king of heaven. Like the one, the one that we've made in our minds, that's not the real Jesus. This is. This Jesus is worth everything. This Jesus has power, and I want to listen to him. And so, so much of what I see in these scriptures is, all right, I believe Jesus is leading everybody in this room. All of us are being led by Jesus if we'll let him. Some of us are actively saying no right now. Some of us are being led up mountains and he's showing us who he is. I love mountaintop experiences. But then what follows that right there in verse 14, right after this, is he's walking down the mountain with them on purpose to a very different encounter. Verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So I love following Jesus because some days it feels like a mountaintop experience where I'm like, you're amazing! And then other moments, he leads me into places where I'm like, this is weird. And then other moments, you're like, I don't know what to do. So if a guy came in here with his son right now, and the kid went rigid and fell on the ground, and he was like, he's got a demon. Anybody know what to do? Well, my grandma does. She said, cast it out. I'll go with grandma. <laughs> but what you got to know about Jesus is, there's a couple things I noticed. Number one, whenever the disciples are away from Jesus, messes happen. Which leads me to believe that no matter if you've been with Jesus for 40 years or two minutes, you never graduate from your need for Jesus. Ever. And if you're not being actively led by him, I don't know how you're living the Christian faith. So if he says, go up the mountain, I'm going up the mountain. And if he says, we're going to go deliver people today, I guess that's what we're doing today, Jesus, because I'm going where you're going. You don't ever graduate from your need with Jesus because the disciples try to in this moment, because I don't know if you realize this, the disciples actually had a pretty thriving demon outing, like business, ministry, or ministry, not business. They are literally commissioned by Jesus, go, go two by two, cast out demons, heal the sick, and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. They were doing it. They were actively, this was their ministry. And then they hit this boy and they can't do it. What's that about? Why couldn't they? And I think what in that moment you have a lot going on. You got Shekinah glory clouds, glory face Jesus, and you got demons and we get a little nervous about that. We'll talk about that in a second. But what I notice is the scribes are probably loving it. They're loving it because they don't like Jesus and they love that the disciples can't. And in the middle of all of that fighting, in all that religious jargon, you have a dad and a suffering kid. And I think there's a point we can go really quickly past. That hurting people aren't interested in our theological arguments. Did you know that? Hurting people, broken people, oppressed people could care less if you're 5.2 point, charismatic, conservative, whatever the heck you are. They don't care. They just need Jesus. 
And this is the Jesus that walks into from a mountaintop with his father, like heralding him to the middle of a demon-possessed little hullabaloo, and he brings life. Because Jesus responds to the father and the kid. Verse 19. And he answered them. It's going to sound mean. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me, the boy. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So there's this hurting father. And if you've ever watched your kids suffer, you know what that feels like. And he says a thing to Jesus that's going to provoke Jesus. He's going to say, if you can. Can, If you could do anything about this, do it. But I don't know if you can. But Luke 9 is going to tell us that this was this man's only child. And Matthew 17 is going to say that he came up to Jesus, fell on his knees, and pleaded that he would do something. So when we talk about tone, you can't read it and know the tone But at first, I think there's some agony and pain in this father, right? If you can do anything, do it. That kind of tone. And Jesus said to him, and this is Jesus clapping back, I believe, if you can. You'll notice in your Bible, it actually has exclamation point right after if you can. That's emphasis, that's exclamation. If you go into the original, that Jesus is actually a little hot. If you can. Almost like, I... I, if I can. Do you know who you're talking about? Do you know what, why, you're even, why is that man even coming up to Jesus? Because he knows what he's done. He's heard the stories. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately, the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. If you've ever felt like your faith is weak, this is your prayer. This is my prayer, my favorite prayer of the Bible. I know that you can, God, but I re- uh, help my unbelief. I pray it all the time. I'm praying for healing for people, I pray this prayer. I'm praying for people to get unoppressed, I pray this prayer. Lord, I, I know you can, I just don't, uh, you know, I feel it, right? And he says, all things are possible. So if the kids were in the room, I'd say, kids, tell me something Jesus can't do. Go ahead, I'll do it with the adults. Adults, tell me something Jesus can't do. Make a rock that he's too big. Yeah, I know. I know all the arguments. If you were a kid, you'd be like, nothing. So we know that answer, and we live a very different answer. We know that there's nothing too hard for God. We know that Jesus can heal. We know that Jesus can take broken, addicted, demon-oppressed things and make them unoppressed, unaddicted. And yet we approach him very, very much, I think, like the father, this father of this son. But he ends that with a plea, help, help my own belief. And in verse 25, and when Jesus saw that a great crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. This is what Jesus does. This is the Jesus, glory face Jesus, not the tame, cultural Jesus, the real Jesus. 
He takes things that look dead, marriages, kids, spiritual lives, and he goes, get up. So if Jesus shows up, life happens. And then in verse 28, he ends with, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. I think they were embarrassed. Why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can only be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, your Bible might say prayer and fasting. That was probably added later, but we'll go with prayer and fasting. I like it. But there's three kind of big, deep end of the pool topics that are brought out in these quick stories. So from transfiguration at the top of the mountain to demon casting out at the bottom of the mountain, you get three, I mean, deep pools. And the first one is spiritual warfare. The first one is the demonic and the war that you and I are actually involved. So just like this boy and his father, you, I, everybody, you, I, everybody, you and I are involved in spiritual warfare even right now. We don't like to talk about this. In fact, when I talk about demonic stuff, people are always like, I know you talk about that. Well, Jesus apparently does too. And I think there's two camps when you start talking about spiritual warfare and demons. The first camp is they're everywhere. They might be in the seat next to you. That, and like you got a flat tire because of the demon, and you had a bellyache because of the demon, and you give demons way too much power. All you need to know about spiritual beings is God is over everything. And Satan and God are not equals. They, Satan is not omnipotent. He's not sovereign. He doesn't know all things, and he's not everywhere. God is. And so when we talk about demons, I'm not afraid of talking about demons because I know Jesus. And every time Jesus confronts one of them, they leave. And so when we talk about these things, there's the first, they're everywhere, everything's caused by them. And then there's the other camp, the camp that I came from. Demons are absolutely nowhere. This is a fairy tale and it was made up. So regardless of where you are, I think you have to be confronted with, all right, well, Jesus obviously deals with them. And I think both extremes, they're everywhere and they're nowhere, are very wrong. So if you're struggling with the idea of demonic and all that stuff, I'll ask you a question that was asked me years ago. As you read the New Testament, how many stories of demons do you encounter? A lot. That's the that's a really theological answer. A lot. So I'll ask it. Where, where did they all go? Where did they go? And don't give me a Bible answer. All right. If you're a Bible guy, and we should all be Bible guys, where did they all go? And so I actually had someone tell me, well, they all went to third world countries. Hmm. Oh, they left America. Guys, we're safe. We're not in spiritual warfare. They're in the third world countries. So take a deep breath. They're no, they don't exist. And I, I, really, you start to think things like this, and you start to think biblically and look at Jesus' life and what he called people that followed him to enter into, and it was definitely spiritual warfare, Right? So if you want to be a biblical person, go this week and you tell me, where did they go? And what Bible verse do you hang that on? So Jesus is actually showing us, he's pulling back a veil again, and he's showing us that life is not a playground. And some of us, we are just skipping, singing love songs, unaware of the warfare. And Satan's having a heyday in our lives. Because life isn't just a playground, there's actually a battle. There really is an opponent to the things of God. And he wants to destroy you, lie to you, oppress you. He wants to really oppress little, like the boy in the story, throwing him into fires, almost drowning him, making him shake and convulse. 
And you're like, well, how much more could be caused by demons? And I know sometimes when I talk about this, some of you are like, can we just go back to the lovers of God and the loving of others? Please. You can't even do all that if you don't know how to fight here. And so I don't want to, I don't even care about demons, but I care about freedom because Jesus did. I'm not even concerned about a demon showing up now because I know Jesus. And everything that Jesus says, get out, they leave. And so what you'll notice is he's allowing us to realize that we really are in a fight all the time. And I'll show you, I'll show you in the Bible actually. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this. Ephesians 6 Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So some of us are like, what do you need armor for if you're not in a fight? But we're expressly told, put on armor. Go to war. Make battle. Fight against. And some of us, like I said, we're just skipping armorless through a battleground. It's a great way to die. And so when we look at this, our, what's our fight against? Let's just do that. Our fight is against what? One another? Politics. Thank you. Whoever just said emphatically, no, I agree. Our fight is against rulers, principalities, demonics, the very things that stand against the knowledge of God. These are what we're fighting against. And I think Satan would love us to focus on one another. I think Satan would love us to focus on politics. Different sermon. I think Satan would love us to focus on the fact that he's convinced us he's not there. But Ephesians makes it really clear for me. Like, you really are in a fight. And Jesus really does bring authority and freedom to people that are oppressed. I'll say a statement because I feel led to, um, and it's going to sound harsh, but I'll back it up with Bible. If you're not following Jesus, then you are being led by Satan. Did you hear me? You're like, all right, I'll prove it. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, Anybody just got really uncomfortable? You're like, I knew church would be a drag today. (laughs) I didn't write it. And so God's like, all right, so... If you're not following Jesus full of the Spirit of God, you are following something, even if you said you, you are not. You are being led. You are bound. You have, like, spiritual things are at work in the earth. This is Bible truth. And he even goes so far as to say, if you're not following Jesus, you're a child of wrath. But I'll give you good news. If you keep reading Ephesians, that verse we just read, and the verses that are on my arms, Because God, I just felt the Lord, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which Christ, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Woo! Yeah? So you were once dead in your trespasses, following the spirit of the air, overcome, oppressed by things that are dark and want to destroy the very image of God in you, but then God. But then God, by grace, through faith, came in and seated us in heavenly places and gave us authority over the demons of hell that we might walk in salvation. What? Ah, that makes me so excited. Because no one ever taught me that on my felt board in Sunday school. They said, trust this little bitty Jesus that'll get you to heaven if you're good enough. That is not the gospel. King Jesus shows up on the earth and makes all out war against the devil and all his schemes. Installs the kingdom of God and pays the penalty that the wrath of God might be poured out on the son and then goes, do you want to follow me? And I'll make you a devil destroying, kingdom of God bringing, healing, preaching, proclaiming minister of my gospel. You want that job? And I'm like, I want that job. So if, once again, if you make Jesus small, your faith will be small. But when you look at what Jesus actually did and calls us into, it's amazing. It's worth every drop of my life and energy. But God being rich in mercy. So are we in a battle? Yeah. Is God better and stronger? Yes. Are we in warfare right now? Yeah, but God is a mighty warrior. And I'll tell you a story. I was praying for a girl about a month ago, and she came to me and told me some really, like, it was pretty heavy stuff. And in the middle of my mind, I started to have this, like, doubt of, like, I don't know if I can help her. I don't know how to help her, God. So I'm praying while she's talking, which is not a good practice for a guy with ADD. But I was. And immediately, she starts saying this word to me. She says, I just don't know if I can say no to Satan. And immediately I had a picture. I, I, it wasn't even a picture. It was just a sense. Like a, I, I, had, I pictured like Jesus was standing right here. And then Jesus was standing over right next to her. Like you, It's like when I look at you and I go, my dad's bigger than your dad and he can beat you up. That. That was the vibe. And the Lord was like, yeah, this is what you tell her. You tell her to tell Satan, I can't, but he can. And in that moment, I watched things break off that girl's life. Because I don't have the authority. And I don't have the faith half the time to walk in it. But I know a guy. I'm seated in heavenly places. You are seated in heavenly places. And if Jesus is leading you, he's going to lead you sometimes to say things like, hey, you're following a spirit that's not of the Lord. Do you want to follow him? He's going to ask you to do hard stuff. So no matter what you're going through, I believe that when Jesus encounters dark stuff, he sends it fleeing. So if you feel oppressed in this room, by the end of the day, I'm going to challenge you to come get unoppressed. Not by me or by any man or woman, but by Jesus. The second thing you see, so you see spiritual warfare in this story. You actually see imperfect faith, which should make everybody in here collectively go, yeah? Anybody got perfect faith? Please raise your hand. I just want to preach at you. Somebody did raise their hand, and they're like, oh, no, don't call me out, right? So here's the thing. Most of us, we walk in a haze of, my faith's not big enough. I don't have enough faith. And you let Satan terrorize you with that thought. 
you need this much. You know why? Because he's got all the rest. And so as you look at this, you see imperfect faith. The father goes, your disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And he says in verse 19, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. That sounds like a really tame, nice Jesus, doesn't it? I don't know if you know this, but Jesus always isn't nice. You're like, my Jesus is? Well, you might have the wrong one. This Jesus literally seems really harsh, right? If you have kids, have you ever had this moment with them? How many times am I going to have to ask you? That moment? So you understand what he's doing. He's not mad at the dad. He's surely not mad at the kid that's demon-possessed. He's mad at the crowd's lack of faith. He's actually, he's actually outwardly lamenting. How long am I going to have to do this? How long am I going to have to beg you to trust me? How many times am I going to have to heal, make water into wine? How, many, how long am I going to have to do this until you'll trust me? That's what he's doing. He's lamenting their lack of faith, and the Father responds to it, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And as I said, the Bible says he fell on, his gra- on the ground and begged him. And I think that one, and I'm talking, it doesn't seem like a lot of faith, right? If you can. If you can do anything. It doesn't seem like a lot of faith. But that one drop of faith-filled prayer moves Jesus to respond. And he does. If you can, all things are possible for who, him who believes. I want to talk about faith. Because I think there's also, with spiritual warfare and demons, there's wrong views. And I think faith, there's some wrong views. So there's one side of faith which says, well, if you just believe enough and pray enough and proclaim enough and stir up, my friend Michael Miller says, if you just stir up enough psychological certainty, that's faith. That is not faith. If I just go, believe, that is not faith. If I just walk in a room and I go, I just believe and I know that I know, I know and know a lot of things but I've also watched a lot of people die. And I've laid a hands on a lot of people. Like Jeremiah and I cry about this. You know why? I see Jesus as a healer and I believe he wants to heal. And I believe he does free the oppressed. And I believe salvation comes only in the name of Jesus. And then you have this disconnect where you're like, well, I did believe. And I prayed the right prayers. And the Father prays this prayer, if I believe but help my unbelief and Jesus heals. And you're like, well, well then all I gotta do, all I gotta do, I believe, help my unbelief. Do I get what I want? That's not how this works. We're not trying to stir up certainty and make our faith great. I think the second side of that is, well, if you're sick, if you are oppressed by a demon, then obviously you don't have enough faith. That's evil. That's Satan. Whew, I feel, again, the Lord loves you guys. I woke up this morning with the prodigal son story in my head. We don't understand the grace of God. We don't understand that we might run away for a season, and when we come back, he's like a father. He's like, my son that was dead is now found, and he embraces you, puts a robe on you, puts a ring on your finger, and goes, this is my son. This is my daughter. Okay. Other sermon over. And I feel this because I see so many people like, I want to have faith, and they try to stir it up. Other, but meanwhile, they're, they're actually praying prayers very similar to this father. When that father prayed, it sounds kind of accusatory. If you can, 
I mean, Martha and Mary said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You ever pray a prayer like that? And here's the thing, none of us in this room will claim if we pray prayers like that, but you pray prayers like that. But really what I want to look at is it's not so much, I think, the strength of your faith, because Jesus is going to go on and talk about the mustard seed. I think it's the object of our faith. It's not about if I have this much faith. It's about who my faith is in. My faith is in Jesus Christ, the living one, the holy son of God who can do all things. Let's talk about all things. What's all things mean? There's another verse in the Bible that actually says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Philippians 4, 13. I've played some high school sports. I've played some college sports. I found this phenomenon. Guys like to use that verse really poorly. So I ran high school track, and there was a guy that literally wrote Philippians 4.13 on his heel. I can do all things, right? And then I had another guy that I played high, or college soccer with. I can do all things. And I was like, I think you might have missed the context of that verse. What I mean? When Paul wrote that, he literally said, I can be beaten. I can suffer. I can be thrown in prison. I can, do, I can be rich, I can be poor, I can do well, I can do bad, I can do good, I can do, any, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not actually talking about, I can get whatever I want through the Lord and run a 30-second mile. That's not what he's talking about. I can jump 25 feet on the pole vault because all things through Christ. That's not that, right? Okay, good, I'm glad we all agree. Stop misusing the verse. But when Jesus says to the man with the son, I, I, all things are possible, what is he talking about? Why did he say that? All things are possible for them that believe. And my belief is that the gospel of Mark was written not so that you would learn a recipe, not so that you would learn, help my unbelief, or pray the Lord's Prayer four times a day, you'll have financial blessing. That's not relationship. That's a genie, a vending machine, or a recipe. Really, Mark is writing this that we might know, trust, and believe in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't take a lot of faith to see God's stuff happen. It takes this much. I'll say this. Uh, in the last two months, I've seen a couple people get healed. Every one of the weeks that I watched somebody get healed, it was the worst spiritual week of my life. I felt the least spiritual those weeks. Those were the weeks I woke up and was just ticked off at my wife. You're like, you get ticked off? I do. I am a man. Uh, I got, I was just like, I just did not feel connected to the Lord. I really struggled to read the word. Prayer life was like, it was not like a joy. It was more like, I'm going to come here because I know I'm supposed to. You ever been there? I get to the end of those weeks and a man came up to me with a broken rib. And he said, would you pray for my rib? And I kid you not, I felt my eye roll hit the back of my skull. Like, I yeah, sure. And that's the guy that got healed. Literally, I was like, that's what Jesus does, right? Not a lot of faith there, guys. I guess I will. Have fun. It happened? What? That's literally that thing. And so Jesus doesn't looking, like, notice, he actually responds. It's the great thing about Jesus. He's like, you need to have faith, but you don't need a lot. God helps us even when our faith is weak. That should make all of us like, yes. I'm going to make it. You're going to make it. Because it says in verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Notice, 
Jesus doesn't go, I am the incarnate son of God. You go away for two days and you make penance. I'll circle back in two days. We'll see if he can get this boy healed. That's not what Jesus does, right? The father goes, I'm weak. I kind of believe, but I'm kind of faithless. Will you help? And Jesus does. And Jesus does. So you see spiritual warfare, you see weak faith, and then you see the power of prayer. Look at verse 28, and we're, we're landing this plane real soon. And by plane, I mean this service. You see the power of prayer, and you're like, where did we see the power of prayer? When verse 28, he says, when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You know what I wish he would have said? Preaching. Or a potluck. But if like preaching and potlucks kept demons at bay and had gave us authority and power, Baptist churches would have no demons in them. But I've been in one. Just, that was a bad joke. So, but you, that's what he says. He says these kind, this kind, this thing here in this boy afflicting him only comes out by prayer. Now, I want to talk about that because up till now, the disciples have been doing just fine casting out demons. It's literally their ministry. It's what they did. So why not this one? Could it be, and I don't know because it doesn't tell us, but could it be they stopped trusting Jesus and started being like, we got it. We got the power. This is us. This is what we do. And then somewhere in the middle of that pride, of that lack of submission and dependence, Jesus was like, oh, we're about to find out today. And they couldn't do it. And they were dumbfounded. And he tells them why. It's because you stopped praying. Because you stopped depending on me and you thought you had the ability, but I'm the ability. My spirit gives you the ability to walk in authority. And so I'll submit this to you today. I think it's the, the story of Mark 9. However, however much you want to experience the kingdom of God, the power of God, the conviction of God, the Holy Spirit, all the stuff we prayed for at the beginning of the service, however much desire you have to experience that and see it in the visible is really, there's a proportional correlation between that and your dependence on God through prayer. I would hang it all on prayer. All of it. And you're like, how, how, how so? Um, well, here's the thing. Jesus says this kind only comes out by prayer. Now replay the scene. Did Jesus pray? Not in the moment. Not, not like going off with his father. Did he pray? In that moment. Was he like, oh no, we have a demon afflicted boy. All right, guys, grab hands. Claim your scriptures. You know what? Did he do that? Thank you. Someone was honest. Verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. He didn't pray. So what is he talking about? So could it be that Jesus isn't, once again, trying to teach us a recipe? If you do A plus B, you get C. That's not what he's doing. So he says these only come out by prayer. So could it be that Jesus isn't talking about the activity of prayer? He's not talking about doing a rosary. He's talking about the lifestyle of prayer. He's talking about a heart that loves to be with God, a heart that drips with the presence of the Lord, a heart that just was like, man, I was with God this morning. You demon, I know who he is. Compared to you, you're nothing. He's talking about a man or a woman 
that enjoys being with their Savior and literally smells the aroma of Christ everywhere they go. That literally drips with the authority of heaven. Like literally as a person that knows Jesus' words because they just talked with him that morning. Jesus imaged this for us. You know that, right? Why did Jesus go off by himself all the time? To be with his Father. How did Jesus know to go up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John? Time with his Father. How did he know that this appointment with this boy that was demonically possessed was going to happen? I think he did because that's the route he took. Time with his Father. So I'm going to ask you a question. If I followed you around, would your dependence upon God be exampled in how you pray? Are you talking to him? Are you enjoying time with God? Are you sitting with him, being with him, being led by him? Because what I've learned about ministry is I could teach you, we could teach you the rote steps. This is how you pray, right? This is how you cast out demons. This is what you do to heal. But ministry can be learned. Intimacy cannot. I can teach ministry. I can tell you, here's the five steps to a good sermon. You're like, well, you should take your own lesson. But whatever. You can't fake intimacy. If you fake intimacy, you get the sons of Sceva. If you don't know who that is, look it up in the Bible. It's Jewish itinerant exorcists. They invoke the name of Jesus for a demon and he goes, I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? It's a scary moment when you encounter spiritual warfare, you encounter dark things, and you don't have Jesus behind you. It's a scary thing. But we have Jesus with us, in us, and wants to use us to break these things. And so if you're not praying, then I think what you're declaring to the heavens is, I can handle this. And I don't think that works because he's not teaching us technique. So let's do this. Let's, let's stop talking. And let's do what God wants to do. And I think there's three things. So uh, the first one is this. If you're, you're in here and I talk about this Jesus that's glowing-faced, worthy of your whole life, and you're like, I don't know that Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't know who you're talking about, but I want to see him. Because it's in the Bible, I believe it's really appropriate. God, would you show me that? I want to encounter you. I want to be like Saul to Paul. I want to, I want to see who you are. Open up my eyes. And if you feel that prayer in you, my challenge is as worship starts right now. Actually, Dave, you can come up. Everybody can come up. Not everybody, the band. Everyone's like, ah. If you want to encounter the Lord, if you want your eyes open, my one ask is would you come and receive prayer that that would happen? The second thing is, if you're in here and you feel oppressed, me and Anna just met a girl two weeks ago, and she started a conversation with us, I know that I'm oppressed and I have demons. And I went, oh, now we know what to deal with. Some of you in here, you feel stuck. You feel burdened. You can't get your thoughts to be of God. You have a heart that's like, I want to love God, but I feel so shame-filled. All those things are oppression. And Jesus breaks bondages. He breaks oppressions. He brings freedom. And so if you're here and you feel oppressed, please don't leave. I want you to come and have somebody pray for you that Jesus might take that oppression off of you. And then the third thing is, Jesus is a healer. So you might need physical healing, mental healing, 
I don't know. It could be just like every time you read the Bible, you fall asleep after two verses and you're like, I don't want that. Please don't run away from what God might be trying to produce because of the word. We're going to enter into worship. After about the first song, the, the prayer teams are going to come out. And you can come and ask them for anything. Healing, deliverance. If you're oppressed, be set free in the name of Jesus. If you want to see the Lord, let's worship him. So Jesus, thank you for your word. I go right back to where we started. I, I pray for the, the word of God to stir us up to, to move right that the power of God would fall in this room. That the Spirit of the Lord would be upon the people. And that conviction would be godly conviction. And as we respond in song right now, God, I pray that you would minister to every person in here. And if we need to come forward and get free, I thank you that you always turned aside for the one that was stuck. And that you want to bring freedom. So as we start to worship, you're free to sit, stand, kneel, jump, run. Let's worship God and then do ministry with and for each other. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.